welcome to the Adapt and Overcome podcast from Alt-RPO. In the evolving landscape of the COVID-19 pandemic, we decided to create a space for real people to come together and share their experiences and lessons learned as they lead their teams through new virtual work environments, crafting new strategies, and taking their organizations through incredible transformations. These conversations are taking place in the context of free webinars. You can find out more details about upcoming webinars, future panelists, register for an event, or even apply to be a panelist yourself by visiting altrpo.com webinar. Without further ado, here is today's panel. Welcome to episode nine of the Adapt and Overcome podcast. We are so excited to have you all here. We're doing this webinar series and, and turning it into a podcast from AltRPO. I'm Emily, I'm the VP of Strategy here, and uh, we're so excited to get started. So without further ado, I'll introduce Joseph, our host for today. He's the president of Grayline, founder of US Tomorrow, and the executive in residence at the McComb School of Business at the University of Texas. So Joseph, please take us away. Emily, thank you very much. It's good to see you again after a week away from our last, or I should say the inaugural weekly workforce webinar on Wednesdays. Four W's, I said them without a stutter. Uh, how have you been in the last week? I know you've done other webinars. How were they? Great. Yeah, good. they're going really well and we feel like we're getting better with everyone. So this will probably be our best one yet. Absolutely. Well, this is number nine, one of my favorite numbers, thanks to John Lennon. Uh, so just as a by way of reintroducing who I am, Joseph Kopser, uh, in this time of COVID, my two worlds have basically overlapped in such a way that I'm excited, excited to partner with the folks from Alt-RPO and Emily and Sean behind the scenes and John, who you can't see, but they're all part of us on this webinar, to look at from the nonprofit side of workforce, which what we do at US Tomorrow, thinking about the workforce of the 21st century, do we have the skills, training, and attributes we needed for the workforce of the future? Well, guess what? We've now been accelerated in that conversation as we now have millions, almost double-digit millions perhaps, Americans now find themselves out of the workforce and the things they need to think about as they re-enter the workforce and as employers that they bring them back in and rehire when this is over. The other side of this conversation comes from the private sector where I spend a lot of my time with a company called Grayline where we think about the leadership and strategy required in a changing world and what could be changing faster right now than the business business world, uh, aspects of family, and the impact it has on cities and employment, and most of all, workforce. So that's why I'm honored to be here. And the team that we've assembled handpicked because they represent different areas. I'm going to allow them to go into a kind of a 90 second bio of how they got to now and how they're viewing the move forward in, in workforce is something that we'll get into after we do the quick round robin. So with that, I want to introduce Chelsea, who I've known for many years, operating in what we call the smart city space. Uh, but Chelsea, take it away and let the audience know your background and how you got to now. Sure. Um, well, my background is pretty varied, which I think is appropriate for the era of smart cities, which is basically how cities, government, uh, technology, private sector, startups, academics, residents, people who operate and live in cities, how all of that comes together to create a better user experience for people in cities. So it's ultimately leveraging how technology engages with with the human experience. Um, and at the end of the day, for me personally, what it's about is looking at different systems and, and how they um, overlap and how we can create a better world by showing up and, and doing what we all do best. Well, I definitely like the idea of creating a better world. And I just want to highlight something you said and tie it back to last week. And the theme was from Art Markman, who runs IC Squared. And he said that this will require a whole of government approach. This is where we need to have academia. We had the private sector and nonprofit, as well as government all working in a fluid way. And your background represents that well. Seth, let's move over to you representing uh, the great state of North Carolina today and an industry that probably hasn't got a lot of attention right now. But tell us your background and how you got to now. Sure. So thanks, Joseph. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to participate today. Um, I've been in communications and government affairs for the better part of the past 12 years. I currently uh, represent the North Carolina Association of Realtors, a 48,000 member uh, trade association here in North Carolina. 
that represents all forms of the real estate industry from your traditional buyer seller agents to appraisers, home inspectors, and, and all things in between. And as I look at the the circumstances that we are in right now, I think the the government approach, the the membership approach that my organization continues to take is is one that, that a lot of us have had to modify. We're we're used to being in present in, in present and in person with folks. Um, I, I work for yeah. a lot of folks who are are extremely social animals and, and being told you can't see anybody is has been hard. And and so trying to represent that and, and give them the tools that are needed to to move forward in their business has been a really important aspect right now. Right. Well I look forward in this conversation to return back to talk about real estate agents and really the whole industry because it is emblematic of a lot of other, as you say, face-to-face sales-oriented businesses. So let's go to the opposite coast and let's talk to Phil. Phil is a serial entrepreneur. You've been involved in a lot of different projects over the years. Uh, So give us a quick background of how you got to now, Phil. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Great to be here. I really appreciate joining this group. Um, I'm here representing basically two organizations. One's called Global Minds Work Local. We are an incubation program for modern social enterprise startups. So I think about these as fourth sector. They're not nonprofit, not traditional for-profit, but more in the world of the big corporation in where where the mission is central to their business, but they're impactful, scalable, and profitable companies. The other organization I'm working with is called the iLab Collective. And this is an organization that helps startup and corporate innovators whether they're in the U.S. or in a different part of the world, Latin America, Asia, Africa, Europe, whichever, who are trying to transition from one market to the other, and we facilitate that process. Um, so a lot of the things that we're talking about right now, you know, this time last year, we were working with UC Berkeley on a program called Hacking for Local, and it was a 16-week four-credit course that was intended to be an incubator for modern social enterprise startups and ideas. And what we learned was, if you talk about smart cities, if you talk about technology, if you talk about real estate, whatever industry you talk about, there are sticky urban problems that we need to, that we knew that we needed to address. And what we learned about COVID is, from COVID, is that some of those problems have become urgent. Some of those problems that were systematic and built over time have become, uh, are are now the, the fundamental hypothesis beneath them are really uh, accelerated. And we're just seeing a lot of interesting interesting response to that, that we need to galvanize around, as you said, in a whole government approach, a whole community approach. Right. And something else I've heard you say before that we're going to circle back to is this idea of sustainable capitalism. Kai Rizdahl on Marketplace and on the podcast Make Me Smart says over and over again that capitalism doesn't care if you live or die. Uh, It's just the very nature of how capitalism works. So it needs to be a sustainable capitalism that is more uh, understanding and more human, if you will. And we have a chance, I think, and we'll talk about the future of the workforce, how we think about some of those issues. So finally, Noah, let's talk to you and just kind of give folks an idea of what you're doing in this space of communications and how you're bringing science into it, both hard sciences uh, and some of the softer social sciences into it. And by the way, I'm a social scientist. So the fact I called it a social soft science, all my friends will be mad at me, <laughs> uh, but go ahead and explain the work that you do. Cause it's important in the communication space going forward. Yeah. So I, I, I come to it from a place of, uh, if you can become an effective, exceptional communicator, you can be remarkably successful in the world. And uh, that's always been considered an art, kind of something that you're supposed to emulate. Uh, but there's a lot of behavioral science behind it and a roadmap to success. And so uh, what we do and what I study is that roadmap. And what we try to do is enable as many people as possible to achieve that so they can be more successful in their careers and in their lives. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really coming at today from three angles. You know, one is how do I help leaders do a better job of communicating in crisis? Two, I run a business. And so how do I help, you know, my team and how and do we your business together? Exactly. And then three, as a husband and a father, uh, my wife works in healthcare. And so she's on the front lines working at a hospital right now. And, you know, I'm, I have kids uh, who are out of school. And so there's a bit of a moral dilemma at our home as well about how to handle this crisis. Absolutely. Well, so before we go to the next step, Emily, I just want to confirm for our listeners and viewers, you did, or have you dropped the LinkedIn information for all of us in the chat so they get a better background too? Yep. It's all in the chat right now at the top. Uh, 
above Great. some of the conversation that's already started. And don't forget, guys, at any time as you go, you can drop questions in the Q&A for any of our panelists, and uh, we'll jump back to them as we have time. Yeah, I just said that because I've known each of these folks for some time and 90 seconds of a bio intro doesn't do them any justice at all. <laughs> so my first question, the direction we're going to go uh, involves really Phil and Chelsea kind of talking together about what they see in terms of the future of community and opportunities in the short term and long term. Uh, Phil, again, I've heard you say before that in this situation that we're in, there's really three things that are happening simultaneously. And that is we have changes that are of urgent response. We have systematic changes that will go a little longer. Uh, and then we have fundamental changes and fundamental reform that has to occur. So with that as a framework, Chelsea, I'm going to take it over to you for a second. What are you seeing immediately in those urgent responses to how communities, smart cities, if you will, are retooling, calibrating, and again, with the mindset of the viewer who's trying to figure out opportunities that they may be able to have to jump on? Sure, definitely. Well, a lot of, um, you know, again, smart cities is all about the integration of cross sectors. So yes, government is a part of it, but the private sector is a part of it, academia, startups, and then of course, residents and, and the social sector. So it's easy to kind of jump to the GovTech piece of it. Right away, we saw city leaders, CIOs, city council members, county council members thinking, oh gosh, we have a city council meeting and one week, three days, one month, what are we gonna do? We've never done this before. So yeah. the immediate activity, um, of course the immediate activity was dispersing resources to residents, but when they started on the operational side of things, it's how are we gonna do this? Because not only is it a technical challenge, but more than the technology, it's a fundamental shift in terms of, we've never done this before, can we do it? And government, for many, many reasons, is um, not known for being innovative. And I don't say that as um, a criticism. I say it as government is supposed to move slower and be thoughtful and deliberate. However, in the era of COVID, everyone's having to shift and immediately and act like an entrepreneur and use lean building methods and all these kind of terms that we use in the entrepreneurial community. Some cities are better prepared to do that than others. So that's kind of a, a high level example of just one tangible example, but there are obviously many, many. And, and we're going to circle back to, I hope we'll, when we get time, if there are specific examples of areas where entrepreneurs or businesses can be reaching out to government, I'd love to hear that. But I first want to move over to Phil, and which is, you know, the focus, as you just talked about, was doing good in society, be able to take opportunities, whether they be B Corps, and actually do good in the community. So what are the trends that you're seeing, whether they be urgent, systematic, or foundational, that mm -hmm. listeners or viewers can tap into, learn more about? Sure, I'll start with some of the things, well, first by 100% agreeing with what Chelsea had to say and identifying some of the opportunities that are there and then some of the recent ones that, that we're seeing because we know GovTech is hard and we know that a lot of the government is going to be responding to the urgent crisis as they need to, right? The healthcare crisis and keeping right. systems going. But there are other things that are gonna happen that we are seeing that certain organizations or groups are disproportionately affected. Right there, if you look at certain ethnicities, there are more deaths in certain groups and certain uh, populations than others. People need to be aware of that. The communities need to talk about what they can do themselves and, and make sure that their elected officials are aware and those people who are delivering relief are aware. Those are opportunities, just like Elon Musk's team pivoted in making ventilators from car parts. Uh, you can pivot your core business to deliver that. I'm sure you know, Noah's got a, an opportunity for people to figure out how to be more effective in galvanizing community folks, right? Just as an example. We looked at industry, last night we talked with the industry from the construction industry, and they were talking about how smaller uh, construction businesses uh, were having trouble or some of the problems that contractors had. There's opportunities in educating them about finance. There's opportunities in helping them get their books straight so that they can prepare for these different loans um, or and understand the, the difference between the forgivable loans and the grants and all that sort of stuff and understand the cultural differences. Some people, because of their culture, I'll just speak to the things that I know, veterans and African-Americans, right? Not really uh, the folks who are running businesses from those groups. They don't want to hand out. They don't want to feel like they're leaning on a social safety net. They feel like responsible that they weren't prepared for this themselves. And they might miss opportunities that were really intended for them 
to move themselves ahead because yeah. they're not. And I've ahead. even, yeah, I've even read about a natural distrust of government, making it even less likely that some communities are wanting to get involved. So on that note, the construction industry and just housing in general, it's a nice segue over to you, Seth. So mm -hmm. what is ha happening right now in the real estate industry, the housing industry? What are the trends that you're seeing? What are the opportunities? Go ahead and give us a temperature check of what's happening. Sure. So I, th I think overall, uh, a lot of the same challenges that, that Chelsea and Phil touched on as far as government not necessarily being as interested or, or able to quickly pivot into a, a new business paradigm, the real estate industry has been trying to do that for, for some time. I mean, post-2008 recession, the market really shifted dramatically, and we saw a lot of different practitioner practitioner space and uh, mindset sh shift on behalf of the practitioners to really look at at new ways to do business. Not all of those are are good as they are in, in any industry, um, but a lot of them are, are taking on. So things like virtual tours and, and yeah. other ways to, and, and virtual closings and, and other uh, technology-based platforms are certainly things that are starting to uh, move more into the marketplace. Um, and in this issue, this circumstance being a, a huge catalyst for a lot of those changes that were kind of moving so, at a so snail's pace. Do you think, is there fear within the real estate community that this will accelerate some of those tools that are already bumping up against the industry, like you say, virtual tours or doing the entire transaction online? Is this an opportunity for those people that have been skeptical to embrace it? Or what do you think is going to come out of that? And, and you don't have to give me a full, uh, you know, uh, a breakdown of both sides, but just what's your first yeah. impression? I think it, it has an opportunity to do a little bit of both. Um, I think the, the personal touch that a realtor or a real estate professional provides to their client utilizing those tools uh, will certainly continue to be at the forefront. Um, the, there is still that connection piece that people desire, even in a circumstance where they need the virtual technology. They want somebody there to help them through the process um, to understand it. But uh, yeah. absolutely, a lot of the technology backend of virtual tours or just more simplified processes when you go to close. So like a, an, an electronic notarization where you don't have to walk in, in front of somebody and have a stamped piece of paper yeah. Um, those are becoming a necessity now more than just a, a unique, fun thing. Yeah, well, it, it, anybody that's ever had to go through the pleasure of buying a home knows much of what you just described there. So uh, before I get to Noah, I just want to remind everybody, the whole beauty of doing this uh, online, using technology to make this live, is we want to hear directly from you. So go into the Q&A with your questions, uh, and then in chat, you can drop any links that might be helpful, but we want to remind you what Emily said it's better not to put your questions in chat because chat moves quickly enough that we lose it over time. But Noah, let's go back to you. Your introduction, you know, hit home for me because as I do the, oh, Phil, you want to say something real quick? Yeah, I just want to ask real quick about, Seth, the question about, um, you talked about urgent and sort of what I would call the, you know, uh, systematic sort of changes that need to be addressed, like using digital technology. What do you think about the foundational layer where some say, there's going to be a huge shock to the commercial real estate market. The hypothesis is the longer people are working from home and proving that they can be productive, not living in a commercial office space, the, the more that's going to diminish the potential value of commercial real estate. What do you, what do yeah, you I know that's a great question. So no, we're going to come back to you in a second, but that's a great point to pause on Seth. Sorry, everyone's no. been talking about, everyone's thinking, is this going to have a long-term foundational change? I think um, it, it certainly could. We're continuing to monitor data on both the residential and the commercial side to really understand what what impacts it will have. Um, I think, on, especially on the residential side, there was so much in most most areas of the United States, there was so much pent up demand with inventory being so low that we're not yet seeing any kind of uh, significant effects. And even on the commercial side, as we've seen with the the market being more globally, the economic market being pretty strong, you've seen more corporate expansion over the past couple months, uh, even the past year or so. And so there was a kind of a pent up demand for even certain styles of commercial space. But I think it is something that we'll have to continue to watch as virtual, uh, virtual working, virtual living, as we've come to, to find as the new normal, 
continues. Um, and I think the longer these stay-at-home orders, these these needs for social distancing continue, the more more impacts it'll have on the market, and and, and the more challenges that it will have. But yeah, at, at this point, it's just really hard to project. In a previous episode, we talked about the fact that a lot of employees are going to walk into their boss, should they be so lucky to still be working in that job, and say, you know what, we really should I revisit the idea of me working two days in the office and three days from home to allow for more flexibility, to allow for working parents to have that. So speaking of working parents, Noah, let's go back to where I was going with your question, which is, you know, it really hit me when you were giving your opening description of how you got to now, that you really are in all three layers. And I talk about these three layers, that first tier, the sick and those healthcare workers that are on the front lines. That second tier, those are the people immediately out of work who don't know how they're going to put all of their uh, rent out on the table and to be able to make ends meet. And then thirdly, that those, those groups of leaders and business leaders that are trying to hold together what they can to get through to the other side. So because you've seen it from all angles, but your focus is on communication and communication skills, where do you think the biggest opportunities are? Is it to help the medical industry? Is it to help, for instance, uh, teachers and the teaching industry as they are now having to move to online in a way that they never done before? Or for business leaders to be able to communicate with their current workers? Where's the biggest opportunity? Where's the growth? What do you think? It's a lot of questions. That's why I like answering a lot, asking a lot. You can take it in any direction you want. No, you can handle it. We know you can. <laughs> uh, so I think what I appreciate that's going on most, right, is, is there's, there's a newfound appreciation for, for a huge part of society that we don't pay attention to, right? That the healthcare workers, the teachers, the people that provide essential, essential goods for all of us to live our comfortable lives. And, you know, I, I think that what, I, what I've appreciated about the past few weeks is we all are way, way more aware of that. And I think we're much more appreciative of that. And I've seen a lot of great people, great companies, great organizations supporting those groups to the best of their abilities. And I think that does hit on all three levels, which is, you know, how do we help the teachers? How do we help the healthcare professionals? How can we help the people that, you know, pick up our garbage and, you know, sell us groceries to do the jobs that keep us all alive? That's right. Uh, you know, and I, I really appreciate that most people in this time of crisis are starting there. Um, you know, then of course, we're all going to think about ourselves and how do we, you know, if we are an employer, how do we take care of our people? If we're an employee, you know, do I have job stability and what's next for me? Uh, what does it mean if I'm furloughed? What does it mean for the future of my organization? How stable are they? And then, you know, for business leaders, there's a huge responsibility as well, right? And I think that, you know, most of what we've seen there is internal communications first, external communications second, and then culture. Right. And what, what's going on with my culture in this new time? Yeah. Well, and as a lot of people say, uh, you know, culture trumps everything uh, in terms of works. And if you don't have a good underlying culture when this started, it's going to get shaky and rocky for you. Uh, but Emily, is this the time we can turn to questions? What do you yeah, think? Jump we, in real quick. I, oh, yeah, Chelsea, Chelsea, yeah, I just ahead. wanted to nerd out on the on the connected and smart city piece of it related to all of that conversation. So, you know, we're looking at, first of all, Noah, um, thank you for doing your part and supporting the, your wife and of course your family. Deep, deep gratitude. And I'm on the receiving end of that. And I just really appreciate that and have well complete said. compassion for that. So, um, but you know, it's, it's that whole idea of, of the things that are automatic in our lives that we take for granted and government is absolutely at the intersection of that. So whether you're talking about trying to figure out what the, the local shelter in place ordinances are and, and what the communication level is from your local government or your state government, or you're trying to navigate navigate um, getting SBA loans or paycheck protection, whatever it is. And again, some governments are better at that communication than others. Um, and the other piece of it is, you know, government is essentially at the underlying of, of our city system. So as now no cars are on the street, we can perhaps imagine what does it look like if people work from home two or three days out of the week? How does that affect our transportation systems? Do we need to make the sorts of infrastructure investments in roads 
investments in physical infrastructure, or perhaps are those investments better focused on digital infrastructure? And is there a better way that we can communicate? Because you know, lo looking at the, the digital divide, I think that is such an important conversation for us to be having. And it's not that we haven't had that as a nation, but it's always been cities on one side and the, the conversation moves slow and it's hard and it, it doesn't quite yeah. get where it well, needs to get. Yeah. And, and so, one, just one quick thing, sorry, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm hogging no, a little no, bit, um, but now it's an imperative. I mean, lives yeah. are on the line and as seniors are socially distanced and digitally distanced, that has an impact on their survival rate. So I know it's a lot there, but just had to no, no, play this smart city jam. But I'll reflect on what you just said, and then we'll segue into the questions from the audience. But, you know, think about it. We've spent a number of decades, a number of decades as a country bashing government, bashing government at all levels, by the way. Uh, and then now we turn around and we say, hey, government, where are you? When in a lot of cases, we cut and slashed a lot of essential services that we're now regretting. But I don't want to go down that road right now. We'll do that for another <laughs> webinar. Yeah. Please, Emily, what are people thinking and asking of the group? Uh, did Phil have something you wanted to jump in on there before we change topics? I was just going to comment on Chelsea's oh, point that there, are, that there are ripples through the digital divide, right? Lots of people, based on wherever they took it from, they would say, well, you know, certain ethnic groups or minority groups are disadvantaged. But when you look at seniors, when you look at kids, when you look at kids who can't go to school, San Francisco, more than half the kids in public school go to school for two meals so that they get two meals a day. In one of the wealthiest regions of the world, it's unconscionable, right? But the school provides that. And the digital disconnect, I was talking with teachers the other day, they're now trying to teach distance learning to kids who are on all different types of technology platforms and they're nonprofits trying to fill the void because it's a it's on the priority list of government, but it's so far down based because of the urgent things that we need people, uh, civilian, we need community organizations, we need nonprofits to jump in and fill the fill the void. So when you look at a vertical issue like digital divide, like Chelsea talks about, it touches all of us way more than we really understood before. Yeah, no, I love the sparks, uh, Noah or Seth. Anything else before we go to some of the live questions? I think the only uh, thing I would add um, as an organization and, and representing folks who the government plays a huge role in in their ability to, to do their business. So, I mean, it, you have to go through the government to close a house. You have to go through the government to get any of the, the, the loans or, or... And to get and, permits to even build a home at every stage of the building process. Yeah. And, and so it's it's really important that governments start to to recognize and, and to, to modify their business practices and understand that because of of the of these circumstances not just now but but going forward that they make these these changes so that it is easier to understand what's going on at city hall at the state capitol or or even in dc i mean it shouldn't be uh, a black box um that takes uh professionals i mean i'm not trying to 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 uh end my own career here by by saying I, there shouldn't be folks who spend their days uh, looking at all this, but it shouldn't be as difficult as, as it has been to understand the processes to get access to the SBA loans, to get access to, to some of these other programs that are extremely vital to businesses and to individuals across the country. Yeah. No, anything you want to add before we go to questions? <clears throat> you know, it's, what's kind of been on my mind as a through line through this is, is the importance of video. Uh, you know, video is, has become, I mean, we, we there's a lot of people that have known video is the future of communication for a long time, but in this moment, you know, we've just seen the proliferation of video-based communication, which, you know, I, I agree, there's some challenges with, you know, digital bandwidth, but it also creates something that's much, much more accessible, right? I mean, it, if all of a sudden the best universities in the country are recording their classes, those can be distributed to millions of people around the world, and not just the people who can afford to be at Cambridge. Um, and? You know, and, and governments as well, you know, I mean, you have access to city meetings that you'd never attend in person, right? And so I, I think that the, the acceptance of video as an effective means of communication will change accessibility in a lot of things that we're talking about. Yeah, and a shout out to Chelsea and the work she does. It also means broadband and making sure that access mm -hmm. is there to build on Phil's point. It's not evenly distributed. The future is here but it is not evenly distributed in terms of resources. So now I'm going to play the role again as moderator facilitator because we're already past the halfway mark. We haven't even gotten the questions and there's a lot of questions that I can see that Emily's going to ask. So 
I would ask my panelists, our panelists, if we keep the answers shorter, because I want to see an opportunity for everyone to uh, chime in if uh, you wish on the question. So Emily, toss it over to you. Great. No, great conversation so far, guys. So there are a lot of questions, but quite a few of them are along the same line. So I'm going to summarize and kind of let you guys answer them from your different perspectives because there seems to be a general theme running through of asking you know essentially what of the changes that you're seeing now do you think will continue into the future so there's been questions about great questions from Roland and uh, Michael uh, and several other people about things like you know what will happen to public transit if people are worried about social distancing I lived in New York City before I moved here and, and thinking about trying, I didn't own a car, you know, you wouldn't get around the city without public transit, you know, so those are real questions in, in some cities. Uh, things about, you know, accessibility to telehealth, uh, voting remotely, you know, pop-up Wi-Fi that's trying to help boost things since everybody's home. Um, things like that. So I know I'm summarizing yeah. a bunch of the questions, but I think you all represent different industries and angles that you can answer that. So of all these changes, of all the accessibility and things that are happening now, what do you guys foresee actually continuing when all of this is over? Yeah, let me ask each one of you to give one or two, uh, and then based on uh, how that goes, we might dig a little bit deeper into it. So we'll start with Phil. What do you think from a systematic change might stay in process going forward? Um, I think the first thing we're going to see is a real discussion about transit, uh, because you know if you if you talk about public transit, you have this this there's a, there, are, there are a bunch of trade offs right the cost of public transit the, the the closeness of proximity one trend that was emerging uh, was around automated vehicles and the, their their ability to eliminate traffic and micro mobility. One thing I've heard. Um, uh, reading about Lime scooters, for example, is that their usage has gone up because there's a safe but independent way to get around for people where they can drop certain things off and minimize their risk. So I expect there to be a, a decent amount uh, of innovation of innovation there. Um, I think there's another another issue that we're going to be talking about resilience, right? What we've seen when you combine the, pan, the pandemic and you talk, talk about recent challenges like California wildfires, people are really concerned about, they see that there is risk now, just like in 9-11, in after 9-11, there's risk for bad things to happen to us. And for some people, it's the first time it's really happened in their, in their lives. So they start to think, okay, what do I do to make sure the power stays on and the water keeps flowing and that basic services continue? And some of those are actually potential for new business models and new interaction with government so that it's not a, it's not like an Uber bounces on the street or uh, Lime starts distributing scooters all over the place, but there is a more of an interaction hand in hand with government to avoid aggressive regulation and to solve the core problem at hand. Yeah, well, I like those two. And the thread that I heard out of that is preparing for life and business going forward for any catastrophe that might happen. So Noah, I want to take it to you. Uh, what are your two? And then especially on the angle of leadership or communications, but take it any way you want. What's going to stick around after this? Yeah, I just have one. Uh, I think we're going to see the end of the cross-country flight for the one-hour meeting. Interesting prediction. Uh, yeah. I think people are totally comfortable now having a conversation over video means and that, you know, that trip that you take for the one hour meeting where you go spend a night in a hotel and, you know, the environmental footprint of that and the time sacrifice of that, I think people are seeing the trade off of. And I think that's going to end. Interesting. Okay. Seth, you've had experience that my, many people here may not know unless they've gone into your LinkedIn. You too have worked in transit. Uh, so I'm curious your response to Phil's thoughts <clears throat> or take it in your own direction. So yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with Phil on, on transportation in general and trying to understand how people are getting around it, and it piggybacks onto what Noah said as well. I mean, this, this mindset of, of even traveling across a state to, to have meetings or, or have even conferences. Uh, I mean, the, the National Association of Realtors, I was just on a call, they're looking to hold their uh, main legislative meetings that are in May in D.C. usually um, via completely virtual means. And that includes bringing together a board of directors of over 250 people um, via virtual presence. I mean, that was unheard of six months ago 
Yeah. And, and would have gotten you laughed out of every room um, in a building. I think the two things that will will help to 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 stay and, and, and will be reinvigorated more than anything in conversation are first and foremost the, the need for broadband, rural and, and urban. It's not <clears throat> in North Carolina specifically, I mean we had such huge challenges have had such huge challenges with rural broadband. That's been really the focus and any and the, the mountain to climb. But now even looking at the total amount of, of students that are out who need the, the bandwidth during normal business hours to, to do their schoolwork, but then the, the business community who is all doing uh, these means, this idea of, of 5G or, or 6G or whatever is the next, uh, the next iteration of, of technology needs to continue uh, expanding. And I think building yeah. off that, it's also technology and government. Uh, as Chelsea and Phil have really pointed out, a lot of governments took the opportunity that they've been provided now to move into to more technology spaces. But now I think a lot of them have found that it's not that scary. Uh, having council meetings via, via uh, digital platforms is not the end of the world. Having electronic filings for registers of deeds or permitting and any of that, yeah, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some money to get the, the structure set up, but it's not it's not going to end the need for somebody to, to still be monitoring it. And it's also not going to, it's actually going to ex expedite some of these processes that were necessary. Yeah, that, that point that you made about access to the internet through broadband, uh, even before this happened, there's a photo you can Google, I think it was in South Texas, of two children, uh, probably uh, elementary, middle school age, standing next to the bricks of the outside of the wall of a McDonald's after it had closed mm -hmm. with their phones trying to do homework because at their home they did not have Wi-Fi and access to the internet. So, Kelsey, wow. yeah. what are the trends you think that are going to continue? Honestly, I think it's impossible <laughs> to predict. Um, I think that we are just super speeded into an era where change is the new normal. And it's going to be very tough to think about very concrete things that will or will not happen in the near and distant future. And what I'm seeing some cities do rather successfully is transform themselves into platforms. So cities who can think of, you know, almost if you think of it like a power strip, like here we are and connectivity and power is basically our job. Now what plugs into that power strip and how those, those um, platforms get, get leveraged has to be be flexible enough to change with whatever emergency or, or whatever um, kind of challenges and is in front of us. So in yep. that kind of mindset, it, it, it shifts everything into an innovation space. Yeah. Phil, I got your note. You want to be quick with one other observation you had? Absolutely. And because I, th I think it touches every industry. It's around startup incubation uh, and doing workshops across the country and internationally Everybody has always started instead how they want to be the next Silicon Valley or how they want to bring startup innovation mindset to their locations. But if you think about the trend of the increasing cost of living in the Bay Area, the desire of people to move out, the increased distribution of technology, and things like start 500 startups going virtual and eliminating cohorts, that's probably more of a trend that accelerates global yeah. technology. Than yeah, I, I'm a member of several several different mentoring cohorts, and that's all the discussion going on right now. But Emily, do you have more questions? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, go ahead. Um, just looking through here, sorry, quite a few have popped in. Uh, one interesting question, kind of piggybacking on the transit, if you want to stay on there, is any quick thoughts on how autonomous vehicles may play into the mix, if it'll be different than what we've seen so far? Um, and looking at uh, the difference between uh, flattening the, the challenges between, you know, different socioeconomic groups as we rebuild the economic structure, not only in cities, but between rural and urban. Um, you know, how do we help? Are there are there opportunities to repair any of the disparities there? Right. Well, I'm going to take moderator privilege on that one because all my friends here on the call know and some may know listening in. I've dabbled a little bit in the world of mobility <laughs> and transportation. Uh, here's one trend I think going forward, since I didn't ask the previous question, but it goes to your question, Emily, which is I think we're going to move to a type of people mover 
and I'm not saying how big or large this vehicle will be, probably autonomous to be able to remove a person who is at further risk. So we'll accelerate that, but they will be rugged. And what I mean by rugged is they will be able to be washed and cleaned very easily. And entrepreneurs are gonna figure out very soon how to wash the inside of a vehicle as easily as we've figured out how to wash the outside. So we all know the gas station car wash, the things that go on the outside, we're gonna soon have something that makes our public transit as rugged enough as it needs to be to wash the inside just as easily. And when you make it autonomous and then you allow it to be able to follow non-fixed routes, Ooh, now you're cooking with Crisco because you're going to be able to address many of the concerns we have and not necessarily have to put 40 people all in one bus at a time, but still lower the carbon footprint, still address communities in need that don't have access. Anyway, sorry. Thank you for giving me moderator. <laughs> Who wants to take that question though? Phil, go ahead. And then we're going to uh, go. And I'll be super brief, but I, you know, I've been doing a lot of research about this because of the impact of mobility in, in the Bay Area. If you look at companies like Cruise or Zeusk uh, or, or uh, Tesla and look at the uh, advancements of their AI and the ability to drive, they would say that they're safer than the average human driver right now, today. If you yeah. look at companies like Proterra and the ability to prove how the battery electric bus can deliver the same sort of performance without the uh, environmental damage, you have that movement forward. We're already seeing that sort of cleanup like you're talking about in South Korea, I believe, where they have these stalls where you drive in the bus and it uses UV light to, to sanitize the bus. We're going to find better and smarter ways to do that. So people, you know, all these companies, including Lyft and Uber, have they want this, the confidence that those are safe to get into. So yeah, those that's models are going to accelerate. Can I ask you later on when we post this to drop the names of all those companies into the links yeah. so the people following it? Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so Chelsea, you work quite a bit in cities. Anything you want to respond to that about bridging that divide of rural and urban or any other aspect of that question from Emily? Um, yes, I completely agree. And that's such a, a great example of um, autonomous. The technology is already there. I mean, the, connected, the, the connectivity piece of it is a challenge, but it's yeah. not a technology problem. It's a, it's a communication, a human adaption or adoption problem, or maybe it's not an adoption. It's just where we are in, in the curve. So, you know, the work that Noah is doing just in terms of how do we talk about these things? How do we anticipate what people's fears are about? About them and then how do we enable government to have a piece of that conversation so it's not just start up saying yes it's cool it's great it's do it it's the answer it we have to allow for all sorts of um, opinions of, along the continuum yeah absolutely okay Noah or and I yeah. you know we we have the pleasure of working with some of the the larger auto companies and so we are you know in the conversations in the rooms you know I, the only thing I'd say that may be a little contrarian here is please you know, do Humans are really good at short-term thinking, right? So we are all every day overwhelmed with what's going on in our society. You know, will this be going on in six months? Probably. Will it be going on in 12 months? Maybe, right? But, but five years from now, you know, is this going to be what's on our minds? I, you know, that's a really hard thing for people to wrap their heads around. We can think humans are really good at thinking about the short-term and really bad at thinking about the long-term. And yeah. so I, I will say that the larger companies are, are thinking about, you know, yeah, there's a short-term impact and a short-term need, but what's, what is this going to look like in three years or five years? Is this going to be what people are obsessed with, or are they going to be obsessed with the next thing, right? Because, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it's a hundred year, it's kind of been a hundred year cycle, I mean, a hundred and two years of a global pandemic. You know, are we going to, if we wait another hundred years, you know, and the auto companies are all focused on creating solutions for the now, they're going to miss whatever's next. Yeah, no, it's yeah, a good I, point. I would support that as well. I'm representing an industry who's pretty much done a lot of the same things for for a long time uh, in the same format, just a little bit different uh, space. I mean, I think we we certainly see all these different technology platforms that come online, whether it be the iBuyer uh, platforms like Zillow or or any of the others that are out there. Um, a lot of those can be fly by night. Zillow is not necessarily that example, but all of its competitors have seemed to, to ebb and flow and yet realtors, realtor, real estate practitioners, the human aspect, as, as Noah said, I mean, they've been thinking long-term um, and, and really recognize the role that they play in the industry and in the, the economy overall. And so 
they've they've been able. I think my my folks have definitely been able to weather a lot of the storms, not necessarily in the 102 year uh, framework, but actually in the the more 10 to 20 year recession based framework that we're seeing more likely um, as what may be on the horizon um, and how we come out of those will be a, a much more short-term and long-term opportunity and, and challenge for, for a lot of different uh, professional industries. Yeah, and before we go to Emily's next question, the, the idea that you said, Noah, that as humans, we're just really bad about figuring this out long-term, and it goes to Chelsea's point a second ago, which is, we don't know what trends are going to last in it. As a soldier, I like always pointing out the fact that after 9-11, everybody was concerned, and then yet there are very few people that even recognize we still have thousands of soldiers in the Middle East, uh, American soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen, uh, and most Americans have even forgot why they're there, and some were even too young to even know that they're there. Um, okay, Emily, any other questions before we start to move into my last question before we wrap up? Yeah, this could be an interesting uh, round. I think piggybacking off of that from Sam, he was asking essentially, what do you think the impact of this will be on corporations and company culture moving forward? And I know, you know, some like Noah already spoke a little bit to company culture, uh, but it may be interesting to hear that, you know, city or community cultures as well, if that is, you know, more of an uh, applicable take for some of you guys. Yeah, I want to ask that to Noah. Noah, what, what will change in what we value or measure in leadership and communication skills? Because now people are being forced to not only communicate in person as they always have done before, but now via a different medium or mode through video. Yeah, you know, we, we study really carefully how people feel when they're communicated via video. Right, and I'd say the the two the two biggest challenges in the difference between virtual communication versus in person, uh, one is memorability. It's much harder to remember things that you're told over video because we see a lot of video, and two is inclusivity. And so I'd actually focus on the second one, which is a huge challenge of having people feel included in a video-based communication. Um, there's technical things that people are trying to do in that. You're seeing a lot of breakout rooms. You're seeing a lot of instructors try to do more engagement things. Uh, but, you know, inclusivity is directly correlated with culture, right? And, and, you know, great cultures have psychological safety. Great cultures have, you know, allow people from a variety of backgrounds to feel like they belong and they're aligned with the organization. And I will say the digitization of our world is, is in direct conflict with the feelings of inclusivity. And that's going to be one of the biggest cultural challenges for organizations and leaders to overcome in this new environment. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Phil, you want to pick that up, and then we'll go to Chelsea and Seth. I think Noah makes a really good comment uh, about it, and I was just reflecting on my experiences with corporate and and um, and the past, and I was like, you know, wondering wondering what really good things we'll see change in the corporation. I think because you're going to have to be, I think it's I think it's all around teams, and I posted something about this a little bit. I think I think. Um, there is a shift in leadership that's kind of required. There's a shift in management. I think of a corporation as the assembly of different types of teams, right? And I was yep. studying Amazon about this recently. Everybody talks about what team they're on and how does that team connect with the other team and the other team. And I lay on top of that the paradigm of a team of teams. Stanley McChrystal's book, which, is, which runs real parallels with Lean. So how do you then actually develop a corporation where the an organization that the values of the team's the team is optimized with the values of the organization and they're all moving in, in the right direction. And I think it requires a new paradigm of, of leadership and mentoring and coaching and connectivity. I don't know how we get there, but the, if you are, I believe that if you're a Z, you know, Gen Z or a younger millennial, this is really gonna wake you up to where, where and how you wanna work and if you're one of those people who's taking a pause and thinking about what you want to do, you want to see that your team and your organization and your leadership reflect your, your values. And if not, that's going to cause you to, 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 to consider where you're going and what you're doing. Yeah. So we'll take this to you, Chelsea. So what we're looking at here is this, and this question is how might culture change and what are the impacts that technology will have on it? What are your thoughts or observations about what parts of either government may or may not change and what does that culture look like since you work so closely with governments? 
I'm so glad, Phil, that you brought up the the idea of values because that is that is the connected thing no matter what industry you're in, what sector you're in. And I want to give a little shout out to Aurora, Illinois, because I think that that and city is- And why not? Aurora, why Illinois not? doesn't <laughs> give enough shout outs. I know. Come on. You let's celebrate Illinois. Cities, but Aurora, here's your day. Yeah, so their um, Smart Cities lead is a guy named Michael Pegas, and he's just very future thinking. And so he's really turned the paradigm outside from outside in, inside out, and basically said, hey, here we are as a city. We have all these challenges. Who can help us solve them? So he uses platforms like Zen City, which basically looks at all different resident conversations, not just the traditional town hall, which perhaps is a broken system, but it sources what people are saying mm. on social media. And so there's a real way to understand how are people feeling and it's in real time. So you know how to communicate more effectively. He teams with people like Marketplace City, which is an innovative platform to team governments with technology solutions or, or different solutions. And so he's been very forward thinking and, and really asking for support instead of thinking the city has to bake all the answers and do it in a very closed system and then go out and deliver it. That that doesn't work anymore in, in this heightened era. So I think um, more governments will move in that direction, which number one is necessary. And number two is just more fun, right? Because then we all get to plug in no matter what sector we're in and we get to participate and perhaps even provide solutions. Yeah. Shameless plug for a partner that uh, US Tomorrow works with called Polco. They have oh, right. uh, yeah. merged with the National Research Council, National Research Center. The point being, they're trying to get out of that scenario where elected officials and government officials only hear information from the loudest of the citizens mm -hmm. or the people Absolutely. that have the most following on Twitter, which we know, of course, is such an indicator of influence. Um, so yes, I, I, I wholeheartedly look for a new era, a new culture of participation with government. Seth, uh, we've only got a couple of minutes, so any thoughts on the idea of culture and how it might be changing? Yeah, I think, I mean, my membership uh, really doesn't necessarily have a corporate culture because they are all independent contractors. They, they work for themselves. They work um, within teams sometimes, but but usually one-on-one -on -one with, with clients. I think it's just trying to, from, from an organizational standpoint, we're really spending a lot of time building additional culture and additional inclusivity opportunities and ways to hear from folks across the the state and, and then the national uh, teams are looking at how to focus across the country. I mean, I think we, we've, we've had the opportunity to continue to do that, but now it's even more important that we hear from people and, and really understand the real stories that are, are going on, not just through this crisis, but, but even in the aftermath. Um, that's, that's so important and will help to, to tell the story of, of, of the industry more directly long-term. Yeah. And, and just the last thing I'll say to that before we get to one final question. Yeah. I got to put my glasses on to make sure we got time. Oh, no, we're getting really close. But you brought up the fact that you represent a lot of people who serve as independent contractors. And it's something that we so often forget is that this COVID era is impacting everyone in such a different way. For those that don't have an office, those that don't have a community that they go to a brick and mortar to, they live and thrive off of happy hours and seeing friends out. And so this notion of people not only being isolated, uh, but socially isolated in the way they don't have a group is something we can all be mindful of. Emily, is there any one last super important quick question that we can get to? Because otherwise I want to move up to a wrap up stage here in a second. Uh, I would roll with wrap up unless you have one big takeaway or our final lightning round question we've been using is just one thing that every panelist wants someone watching to walk away with that's it that's a perfect way we're gonna start uh let's go as i'm looking at this we'll go chelsea you're in the air in the hot seat there what's one thing that people can do after seeing this and or that you just hope they do period understand that the way that we have done things is no longer the way we will do things and we have to be comfortable with that and if you can't be comfortable with it look for support so you can become comfortable with it <laughs> 
Absolutely. In fact, I even put on LinkedIn a company that does online health counseling and anonymous discussions yeah. is giving away $15 million worth of services to college and high school students uh, because we all know I have two in college. They're all noticeably upset for obvious reasons. Uh, so let's switch over as we're looking at the panel. Over to you, Noah. What is your one takeaway? Uh, <clears throat> being grateful. You know, I, I think that that we're we're forced in moments like these to be grateful for people that uh, typically are never appreciated, right? So if you look at what happens every day at 7 p.m. in New York City, where everyone opens their windows and applauds healthcare workers, you know, I mean, it's yep. just that's a part of society that you know I can tell you from firsthand experience. Most people don't think about the impact that nurses, you know, medical professionals, and the risk that they take every day in their lives. And I just think you know the appreciation and the gratitude that we're able to have for the parts of society that keep that weave everything together uh, is, is just a really nice thing. Here, here. Well said. Seth, moving over to you. So uh, I think a little bit uh, stolen from both Chelsea and Noah uh, that this is not business as usual, but it doesn't mean that business isn't still continuing and, and can continue in a safe, safe way. And, and to continue to thank and, and to show appreciation to everybody in your community um, uh, of all all sizes, shapes, and, and and opportunities, because we really have to utilize the community to to get out of this, and and it's with with everybody that that will be able to move forward. Well said, Phil. Well, it's really hard to follow up on all those because they're such uh, really good ones. But I think I've got a, a new one to add where I, it, it takes a little bit from everybody, and I would say um, respond to adversity or things that don't make sense with curiosity. None of us have a crystal ball. All of us have, the, have something to deliver, whether it's whether we know our life purpose or, or not. This is an urgent time where all hands on deck are needed. And if you don't understand how something works, instead of pressing an I believe button or sitting back and hoping that someone else takes care of it, lean into it, dig into it, try and really understand it, reach out to people, ask them questions. It can be a great opportunity for personal and professional growth, but also in delivering something of value in a time of need. Yeah, well said. And I'll end that, answer that question, Emily, by saying what I recommend is people figure out how it is that they can help. It's either through their time or their treasure or their talents. Everybody has something they can do and they can help on all three levels that we discussed earlier in the call. The front line, those caregivers like Noah referred to and the sick that need them in the immediate moment. That next tier, those people that are now suddenly found themselves out of work, there's always something that can be done there. And then thirdly, uh, for those businesses that are trying to hold it together and the startups and the entrepreneurs uh, and the companies that are trying to look at cash flow, there's something you can do. Like in my case, I'm not a healthcare professional. I can't sew. Uh, and so what I think I can really help is by facilitating these conversations because heavens knows I like to talk uh, and I'm not shy about it. And just naturally curious about how everyone is solving these problems. And that's my way of contributing. And I hope it helps. So thank you for asking that question, Emily. Anything you want to say at the end, Emily, as we wrap up? Absolutely. Thank you all so much. This was a wonderful conversation. Uh, I'm always fascinated by, you know, government and the way technology and those things work together. So personally, I really enjoyed the insights that you guys shared. I shared a couple of links in the chat. One's to a quick survey. If you guys that are attending want to tell us how we can do this better or what you got out of it that you enjoyed, we would love to hear it. The second one is for, or I should say the third one is for uh, being able to either see the replay of this. If you want to go back and watch again, we post both the um, video and a podcast version on all the places you can get podcasts, but it's there on the website. And then we also share links to all the upcoming webinars. We're doing these Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, and Thursday with our team. Joseph is obviously doing the Wednesday ones. We have different panelists on everyone and the conversations are really interesting. So you guys are welcome to join those. And the last thing I'll say that I'm really excited about something new that our team is launching is a really fun interactive workshop called think inside the box, looking at uh, identifying the things that you can control and uh, giving some real takeaways for all of us. It's, it's basically a fun mental health exercise for identifying what we can control and, and the ways that we can really take ownership of our, our lives right now to build some mental resilience. So if you just want to break from 
you know, a lot of meetings and a chance to socially interact with people. That's a really great one. So all the links for that are in the chat. That workshop is also free. So feel free to check those out. And uh, we hope to see you guys again. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. And last question, Emily. I see a lot of great stuff in chat and a lot of great stuff in question and answer. For people that caught this halfway through or want to see it later, will they get to see chat and all those great links? How will they get to see those? Yeah, so the the video and audio of the webinar will be there on uh, the website. And then we pull all of the resource links and you know any relevant uh, tips or things like that, as well as I was taking notes in the background, some highlights from the conversation from all of the panelists. Uh, and we'll post those on the page and then uh, with, with the audio in the video. So if you go to alljarpo.com slash webinar, You'll see that for all of our past ones, and we're typically able to get it turned around within about a day for uh, every new one that we do. And then uh, we'll also send a recap email at the end of every week to everyone that registered for a webinar, just giving a couple highlights and pointing back to those pages. Excellent. Okay, thank you. And goodbye, everybody, and thanks to the panel members for attending. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adapt and Overcome podcast from Alt-RPO. We hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you did, don't forget to leave us a five-star review and a comment with your favorite takeaway from the conversation. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. If you're looking for more resources, you can visit our website, altrpo.com. That's A-L-T-R-P-O.com. We have information on virtual team facilitation, virtual team building workshops, as well as our webinar page at altarpo.com webinar, where you can register to be a participant or even apply to be a panelist on one of our future webinars. Don't forget, you can share any of our information with any of your friends or colleagues that you feel would really benefit. We are really hoping to add value to our community during this time of global crisis. We hope you're staying safe and healthy, and we look forward to seeing you soon.